be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you. The only way we know how, by being in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness. Because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, the spell with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who misses me, I can tell, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I I, I texted you this. It, it says something about our, whatever, eight, nine-year, long-running podcast that when we started all those years ago, we used uh, a great hype-inducing, royalty-free song as, as the yeah. intro. Yeah. But it says something Because much... we were very poor and we had no resources. Yes. And so we got the, uh, we got, we got a free, royalty-free, we'd never get it, we'd never get, uh, it'd never be a problem. We didn't have to right. worry about it. Well, to be fair, we have the license to use it like this, but it's a, it's like a one-time fee, right? It's like, whatever yeah. it was, it wasn't right. a lot, right? So be that as it may, I know some old podcasts, I think some old one-up podcasts use some garage band built-in jingles. You know, it's like what the, the early days. So it says something about us. Fine. Take that. I'll take that for the show. But and, it says and over something... the years, a number of things, a number of, uh, this yes. song has popped up in a number of places and we always get the tweets. We always get the emails. But when Elon tries to go Mitchell's versus the machines yeah, and uses a royalty-free, like, Five Alarm song as the intro, that says something I mean, much more about him than it ever will say about us. Nothing, take nothing away from the song. We have literally built our brand around it. Great song. Uh, great song. But if you're the Tesla Corporation, if you're Elon and you're trying to make a big impact, I feel like you can spring for the original music, don't you? <clears throat> or license something? Like, I don't know. It should have been the Mitchells versus the Machines when Eric Andre introduces the robot. Like, just go for it. Yeah. Just do it all the way. Anyway, all of that is to say that Christian and I both got your tweets and your emails. Uh, <laughs> Thank the you. many, many, many dozens of them that we got from people who, who noted that the Tesla bot reveal uh, <laughs> used the same the actor music. in a suit about a alleged joke Tesla bot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you for, for noting and thank you for, uh, you know, thinking of us when Elon is on stage playing the song. Um, I have often thought that maybe we should change the song over the years, but we're eight years in. We ain't changing it now. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to just deal with when other folks use the song. They find the good song, you know? I'd like to think that someone at the Tesla Corporation is a fan of the show, and they forwarded it on to Elon and said, hey, this will work. <laughs> These guys use it to great effect every single week. Uh, but we got lots to talk about. There are video games... There's video game news. Holy moly, we do our thing here at DLC. And guess what? We have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am so excited because DLC stands for delivering love cards. Because that's what you do on Valentine's Day. And we have award-winning reporter at IGN, formerly at gamesindustry.biz. Rebecca Valentine. Hey, Rebecca. Oh my goodness, Jeff. I just I just want to reassure you that I I love podcasting and I'm always 
I feel like I'm always one of the people who has big podcast energy constantly. And that was the most hyped I have ever gotten hearing an introduction to a podcast before. So Tesla did not take away from the power <laughs> of what you have just done. <laughs> well, I'm very pleased to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the song does uh, 90% of the work. And that is and that is probably why uh, Elon chose it. It is a, it's the hype song, but... I appreciate you noting You're that. You're a tastemaker. You're a tastemaker. <laughs> I am. I am a tastemaker. Um, <laughs> so excited to have you here. You. And, you know, we're going to get into the show and, and talk about Story of the Week and all the stuff we're going to do. But there is a story that is this week that isn't necessarily on our Story of the Week list, but it's one I want to talk to you about because you wrote it. And no, I found surprise. it fascinating. Uh, this story in IGN that you authored uh about it's it's quite long it's quite in-depth and it, i find it fa- fascinating it's all about how difficult it is to make a video game very hard turns out it turns out very hard I mean, we talk about that a lot on this show uh but i think your article does a great job in summing it up and you you contacted a whole bunch of actual game developers uh, at AAA studios, at indie studios, across the board, and you ask them, what is something that seems boring, seems obvious, seems simple in video games, but is actually incredibly hard? And the responses you got basically are like everything is hard in video games, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It it was sort of a funny, it it was one of those stories that when I originally, I pitched it back in April of this year and the original pitch, I thought this was going to be something I'd get, you know, 10, 20 responses and turn it around in in, in a week. That was the plan. It it, it was sparked because there was a Twitter conversation back in, I believe, April, where uh, people started talking about, developers started talking about how hard it was to make a functioning door. In a right. video game, like a door that you can, you know, reach out, turn the knob, open and close the door. Yeah, uh, all the and, things, and all the things that make a door so impossible. Well, you just don't even th- you just assume a door is simple, but like how how do, what is, happens if someone's standing there when the door is trying to closing? How how right, does somebody yeah. reach out and turn the door? How does it move? All of these seemingly obvious things that when you're creating a video game, you have to step through all the answers to that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, I thought, okay, what what else? Surely it's not just doors. And I, again, I, I was very naive and I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll ask a couple friends, whatever. So I, I did a tweet and I just said, hey, any developers want to answer a question about game development for me real quick? Got a bunch of DMs, sent them back out. Uh, I posted in like an industry group that I am a part of. And then I all of a sudden I started getting messages, just piles of them because people have opinions about this and people have strong feelings and people have stories. And so I, I I just kind of wrote it and I started emailing some PRs and then emails kept flooding in and then PR people told other PR people and I got emails from people I didn't even email. And I ended up with, I think almost a hundred responses, which I I could not fit them all in the article or it'd be totally unreadable. Uh, But yeah, just, just absolutely incredible stories. Uh, Everything from, uh, some great stories from uh, Mass Effect folks about uh, characters who are supposed to be dead coming back to life uh, because it's very, very hard to do narrative things that make sense and plan for, if you want to have a choice-based game, plan for every single possible combination of choices a player might make and make sure that everything functions appropriately. Yeah, Uh, I love that that line that you you literally step through this bug that they found that would make a a, a Tali come back to life. Yeah, zombie Tali. Yeah, uh, the the bug that actually shipped in the game 
you step through like all of the wacky choices, like the almost contradictory choices that a player would have to make over the course of multiple games in the franchise yeah. in order to make this bug appear. It's so fascinating. Not logical ones at all. Like like a situation yeah. where you're romancing a character and then suddenly you kill them. Right. No, 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 like people do not typically take that path when they play video games. There's at least some logic to that. Uh, but yeah, things like that. Uh, things about how hard it is to make uh, two to anything have contact it's hard to make a everyone loves the pet the dog account the can you pet the dog account turns out it's really hard to to make a believable petting motion on a dog and have it be consistent especially if your game has a whole bunch of different dogs and a whole bunch of differently shaped dogs all over the place uh stuff like that uh localization one of my favorite stories that a lot of people have pulled out was uh i don't have the article in front of me so i'm I'm doing it from memory, but I believe it was something to do with uh, Xbox friend list stuff uh, and a a Polish localization. And there was supposed to be some sort of notification that said socialize with your friends. And they they fortunately caught it before it went out. But uh, there was a point at which the translation of that ended up being uh, support socialism with your friends. (laughs) Obviously, Xbox probably wouldn't want to to publish to people. uh, So so they they caught that and fixed it. But that was that was one of the bugs. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. great, great stories about just like uh, you want to translate your game to German. Okay, cool. Just send it off to the German translators. Well, it turns out the ger- German language, the l- words tend to be a lot longer than English. So all of a sudden you have all these problems of like where to put words. You wrap around. All the all the boxes are wrong sized. It's like all these things that you don't think about. It's really, yeah. really great article. And yet yeah. we have so many games yeah Yeah. that's the i think the amazing as i'm reading through this it's just like yeah wow this sounds so incredible and i love you see in some games like the flex i think devs it's not really a flex per se but like uh last of us part two has this moment where two characters kiss and you see the kiss it looks a lot of times in, in video games it'll be like the back of somebody's head because lips sinking kissing hands holding you mentioned dog very hard to do anything touching anything Yes, yeah. that's yeah. How, what my wife tells me too. Um, but <laughs> I, you, I like seeing like when people, when devs pull that off. Yeah. And on the flip side, I love watching cuts where it's like, I'm going to reach for my sword and it cuts to like the other character's eyes. And you're like, oh, I, I, I know what you did there. But yet, just this episode alone, Jeff, I have like a hundred games on my, how, how is it so hard? Yeah. And yet so many people do it and I'm just a lazy piece of crap. Like how... <laughs> It is, uh, it, it is, a, that is the eternal question. Why are you so lazy, Christian? Um, I, a couple of other things I want to pull out from this article, and I would encourage people to go check it out. You can find it on IGN. Uh, it, the headline is, turns out hardest part of making video games is everything, <laughs> which I think is a great title as well. Um, a couple of the things I want to point out. One of them is uh, from one of my favorite games in recent years, Subnautica. Mm. Uh, one of the developers talked about how just like having water in anything is hard because water is simple, super easy. When you just need a big body of water, you create a big volume of it. But then if you want to put anything in the water, it's like, okay, well, how do you carve out just a little bit of that volume and then give it rules for where the player is in relation? Uh, can they breathe in the water? Are they, are they in, are they in a boat in the water that I found that to be really interesting. And then uh, in your favorite game, Christian, one of the developers of control from remedy, talks about a a very uh crazy bug that yeah. came up because uh, for save states there's, there's a whole discussion about how difficult saving the game is and all the decisions that have to be made in 
how you save a game. Um, and I guess at one point in control, um, if you save it after doing the uh, that maze that you the love so much, maze. the ashtray maze, yeah. Uh, if you save the game after that, uh, it saves it in like capital R uh, of a word, and but the rest of the game had been saving it in lowercase R of a word, uh, and so literally, like they, it, it, it's that much, that little detail of just a they referred to it once in a small R, once in a capital R, created all this chaos and they couldn't figure out why the game was saving in a just wacky way where the walls were all moved wrong. It's like, there's a million, million problems. It took them a month, that- took them a month to, to figure out what that problem was and it was literally just having a, a capital and a lowercase letter it's messed so, up. I love I it. I think I can this say This is why this. games get delayed, folks. Yes, Re- <laughs> research is the word. The capital R research. Research, that's or, right. Uh, yeah, pardon me for not knowing that. Um, so Rebecca, my question to you, having written this article, having gotten all this feedback and and sorted all through it, what is your takeaway? I mean, I think the obvious takeaway is games are hard, but do you think that do you think that the response that you got from developers came from them wanting people to understand how hard it is and cut them some slack or how do you how do you take that? Do you think that we should all Keep that in the back of our mind when things don't work the way we expect them to. Or what is your takeaway? Yeah, I mean that's exactly it, right? I think I think there's there, there are many good things and many bad things associated with having game developers very close at hand. You know, the people who make the art that you consume very close at hand on social media, whatever social media platform you use, you know, being able to communicate directly with them. I mean that there's a whole other conversation to be had about how we interact with our idols and how communities yeah. operate and things like that. But I do think one of the positives that has come out of that is my article aside, I think there has slowly been growing a better understanding of game development being hard and the people who are doing game development being just, you know, folks, people who are, you know, just making a thing. And I, the article, I think really, really drove a pin in that, right? It, it's not just that making games is hard because it's easy to just think, oh yeah, of course it's hard to make a video game. Yeah. I mean, you look at big budget stuff like the last of us part two and you point at that and go yeah that that looks really look at that impressive stuff that's really hard to do but i think breaking it down into those very specific problems the control one is a really really good example and probably one of my favorites in that article because a single letter in the entire code of a game which is huge a single letter being off caused a, a bug that broke the game completely like they could not ship the game like that for a month and games get delayed all the time. And I, I think people have gotten more forgiving about, you know, games getting delayed or games having a bug or two at launch. But when you really break it down like that and you realize the sheer immensity of a game, the sheer amount of things that could possibly go wrong, and and also some of the shortcuts that, that developers take to make these things function. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I think I think it should invoke it should invoke a lot of sympathy, I think. I'd like to take this moment to apologize to 343 and all the letters I sent them over this past year. Um, <laughs> all of those were from me. Every single, <laughs> I used a bunch of different names. I'm uh, uh, About that control thing, um, I don't know if you were reviewing the game then, but there were several emails that went out of like, if you're past, you got to do, okay, stop, hold on, where are we? And it was all hands on deck for this team because that this game was... You know, they were very proud of it. It's great. It's spawned all this other stuff. And it became a, 
you know, whatever that big red button is at Remedy, someone had to push that big red yeah. button and send it back. It was wild. Yeah, I would maybe, I would maybe kind of add on to that that there is there is definitely a, an ongoing sort of tension. If you're playing a small indie game just made by a group of people, then unless they have some kind of funding deal in place that demands it release on a certain date, then they can be a little bit flexible. And if they need more time, they can take more time. But when you're talking big budget stuff, especially stuff made by publicly traded companies or published by publicly traded companies, you end up in a situation where the developers might need more time to make a thing that is reasonable to you to play it is not broken it is it is yeah. functional and nice but you have a whole bunch of other people with money interests in it so you've got i, I was a business journalist so you've got i you got shareholders you've got you've got c-level employee c-level people ceos and stuff in there you've got you've got publishers and and all these other investors all these other c- companies showing up and you can maybe get away with a couple delays but if you hit you know a couple delays in and it's still not ready i mean we saw this with cyberpunk right that game was the game wasn't ready. You might have liked it, but it, it needed more time. And yeah. I don't know the exact story on that, but I, at a certain point, people are going to push for a game to come out. And I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's tough, but I, I think, I think having sympathy for the people actually doing the work of making it, it's, if something comes out broken, they know it's broken. They absolutely do that. It's a situation where for one reason or another, there wasn't anything more they could have done about it. One of my favorite lines from the article is, uh, talking about, you know, what is perceived by the audience as a simple feature to add, you know, like, why can't we just, why can't you just add this? Why can't you just add jump or whatever? Like, yeah, I want to jump absolver, button. I think. Yeah, absolver. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, this quote that, you know, it's, it's, it seems like a simple thing, but it's basically the equivalent of saying, why don't you make a completely new game? Yeah. Like, that's the level of work it takes sometimes for these various, why can't you just do this? Just push a button and now we can do this. It's like, well... It breaks everything. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, f- great work. And uh, I'm glad we had you on to, to be able to talk a little bit about it. I really recommend people giving it a read because it's got lots of detail that we did not cover here. That is really interesting. Thank you. All right. Let's jump in the show proper and start the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments or questions, anything you'd like us to know about. dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you send it. You can also visit our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com or our Discord. It's a lively, cool place with fun folks. That's also 5x5dlc on Discord. But Rebecca, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh my goodness. I, I'm going to go off the, the sheet that you gave me. I sure. was really interested in the indie dev turning down the publishing deal. I thought that was a fascinating look into the world of what indies go through with contracts. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This is a really interesting story. So this is indie developer, a solo uh, indie developer, a single artist who goes by Jake Friend. Uh, this is the um, the person who made a game called Scrabdackle. And evidently, there is an unnamed publisher that offered Jake Friend a contract for, I think, the next 
the next game that they were going to make. They, they live in Canada and they go to another high school and you've never heard of them. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, yeah, the, Jake Friend did not reveal who this publisher were, was, but evidently there was half a million dollars offered up for Jake to create uh, this indie game and, and localize it and create multiple versions to be a switch version. All of the things that you dream about as a solo indie dev to be able to have the kind of upfront capital to invest in your game. Uh, evidently uh, the game was developed um, based on crowdfunding of $44,000. So 44,000 made the game uh, this Canadian uh, and now Jake was looking at half a million, which, you know, more, that's more. And I'm sure, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a significant, significant payday for one person making an indie game. That's, uh, you know, hard to turn down, but turn down the offer Jake did. And Jake went on to reveal uh, in a 23 tweet thread the reasoning behind that decision, and it kind of got picked up uh, and some other folks weighed in, Devolver Digital weighed in. We don't know if Devol Devolver was the pub publisher, uh, but Devolver kind of weighed in on this. Um, even uh, Jonathan Blow, uh, the developer of um, uh, The Witness and, uh, you know, um, so many other great indie games. Great, great, great. Yeah, that's great. what I couldn't come up with. Um, and basically the idea here is this contract was rough. It was uh, really fraught with peril for Jake if the game, if he breached contract in any way. And a breach of contract as defined in this contract, in this, uh, in this deal seems to be a whole lot of things. <laughs> so anyway, I won't go into the details. Maybe Christian, as, as an active participating lawyer, as a licensed lawyer now right in this second you could weigh in on it but rebecca i'm curious uh what your take on this is is this something as somebody who's dealt with on the industry side is this par for the course are indie devs kind of like um you know uh bands that are signed we notoriously the music industry not great for bands signing their first record deal, right? You get exploited. That's kind of the the story of many bands. Is that the same situation in the games industry? Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of it. And I think that this, this story was fascinating to me. This has been a really fascinating year for this kind of story, actually, uh, for, for exactly what you said. Indie, indie developers, uh, real small ones, small studios, uh, j usually just starting out, uh, traditionally do get terrible raw deals. And uh, very often it is because there is just so, there has historically been so little information for brand new studios and developers just starting out. They, you know, you might, you might go to school for game development. Not everyone does, uh, but even if you do, there, there's just not a lot of education about, okay, how to negotiate your deal, how to do the business side of making a game. There, there's just so little information out there. And the last year and a half, two years or so, I feel like there has started to be a lot of more more experienced indie developers who, like Jonathan Blow, I, I don't know if he's involved in this kind of thing, but people who got their start making these small games and then became successful, who are now turning around and saying, wait, we should share what we have learned with mm. this up and coming group. So I have... I've written a lot of stories about new funds 
uh, coming out to fund indie games that are specifically offering among their other services, uh, help with negotiating publishing deals and, and advice. And uh, earlier this year, we saw Raw Fury and Whitethorn Digital, a couple of indie publishers, publicly publish a fairly common sample of what a publishing agreement with them would be. And it was a really cool move that they did that because they they published it sort of in the sense of, hey, here's an example of what we think a fair deal might look like. And then everybody was very grateful that they had done that, but also a whole bunch of people rushed in and marked up the Google Doc with notes of, hey, this isn't very fair. You should wow. never take on this deal. And and Raw Fury and Whitethorn responded in kind. And they were like, okay, cool. Like, let's talk about this. And everybody mm. had a really interesting conversation about publishing terms. And I, I'm glad this is happening. I hope the word spreads. I hope that open communication about these kinds of things becomes more common because the end result is small folks just getting started who don't have a lot of money at their disposal uh, don't don't get in trouble as easily. They, they don't yeah. get exploited uh, just because they don't know things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's well said. Um, Christian, I think the cynical side of me would say that the result of something like this would be more NDAs on these publishing deals. Well, <laughs> uh, I'd imagine that publishing deals had it, but sometimes things are sent before, like, <laughs> yes, an NDA should have been sent and signed before the details of the deal are necessarily... Well, the first- the first tweet that Jake wrote was, I'm not under NDA. Want to right. talk about this? Yeah. <laughs> I thought was pretty brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's as someone who, yes, used to practice law, blah, 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 blah. Um, but then also went through um, a while ago, a, a, a couple of rounds of this with uh, one of my comedy albums, uh, which did very well. It ended up, you know, whatever it was, six on number six on Billboard or whatever. Right. Like it did very well. Um, but I ended up going a self release route because giving up ownership over something, you know, your art, I'm trying not to be like my art, but like this thing that you spent all this time and love and care into. And then you kind of read the finer points of the deal. And it's like, Oh, you know, you're going to play this as a two second, gas station ad you know like it, it can yeah. be on gas station tv or whatever it's like well that's yeah, like when when elon came to us and was like guys uh i love the show i want to use the song what's it gonna take and we're no, like elon no, elon elon to be fair that was uh jeff in that tesla bot outfit he, they hired jeff to i got moves i got moves you, uh, but you know, that type of contract, it, the, and I talked to some, and I have good relationships with a lot of the people that I saw the contracts with, with these, um, publishers for that album, but it wasn't what I was looking to do at the time. Right. And I did, I do feel like I came in at an advantage being able to understand and read and process a, uh, legal contracts. I think most of them aren't trying to be overly complex. I don't think they're trying to be disingenuous or, misleading but they are boring and i think you just kind of glaze over and they're full of defined terms and so it might say like um likeness and you're like well i know what that means except you don't what likeness means in this definition is 30 years of case law in the northern district of texas which has jurisdiction over this contract blah 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 and so it's 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 overwhelming and not for some nefarious reason but just because of a reason and, and then sometimes contracts have just been so cut and pasted over the years that they end up bad because people are people and they're just doing work. I was 
uh, on this one TV show and, and I got a version of the contract and I read through it and I was like, this section has nothing to do with the show we're making. And they're like, well, it's the same contract we've used for years. Well, clearly this was a contract you used, you know, during the wonder years, as it <laughs> mentions the wonder years, but that is not this, you know, it's like, that's, and so sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes I think that it is nefarious. And then sometimes it's just complicated. And then sometimes, and this is the cynical side of, of me, is how much control do you want when you are giving somebody a stack of money for an unknown? And so that that's always that awkward dance of like, well, I'm giving you this money. I, yes, I want control. I want all those. Yeah, I'm paying for the, something. I'm getting something for my dollars. Yeah. yeah. As the artist, you read it and kind of recoil. But as the company, it's like, well, I need to dot all my I's and cross all my T's because I don't want to have to pull this game when I try to put Grand Theft Auto 3 on Steam because my music license didn't cover a release on a newfound digital platform after the year 2020 or whatever that thing yeah. is. And so it's kind of like making games. Contracts are hard. <laughs> yeah. I think games maybe maybe complicate it further too because yeah. game, games are just, I mean, like we just discussed about the other article, like it, so many things can go wrong when making a game, <laughs> right. and 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 so many things can go wrong in the world that that might mean a game is a hit or not a hit. I mean, you look you look at Among Us that blew up uh, just just last year. That game came out what three years before then, and nope, like hardly anybody played it. No one had ever right. heard of it, and then for completely unforeseeable circumstances, no one could have predicted it suddenly became a hit. Meanwhile, you have you might have a really cool game concept that is amazing and you work really hard on it. It's a fantastic game when it comes out, but because Red Dead Redemption 3 got delayed four times, its release date is now on the same day as your game comes out and you can't move your release date and now your game gets totally forgotten. I mean, and then nobody makes their money back and everybody's pissed. Like, there's it, it, just so much fickleness in it. But I, I still think that you get, there's got to be like a fairer contract than what this guy was talking about. Though, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, to think, be, I mean, to I, be clear, to be clear, to give a little more context to it. I wrote it, the contract and I was oh, proud of it. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you got to do better. <laughs> uh, basically, what it was was that if, if he's in breach of contract, which they don't kind of go into all the ways he could be in breach of contract, but evidently the contract could be breached fairly easily is, is the indication. Yeah. Uh, and if the contract was breached, then the publisher got all the rights to the project, the game and any future revenue it would, uh, it would generate. And Jake friend would have to repay the initial investment. So Jake friend would be in debt for a half a million dollars. And, have no way to recoup that money because the thing that they made that was worth that money is not theirs anymore. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, that, that feels like pretty scary stuff for anybody to sign. What you're saying is it still had a theatrical release just because <laughs> right, it also right. came out on Disney plus it was still theatrical. It's yeah. the same. Another thing as, well, one, I should say the best part about this story, I think, is uh, what you both mentioned is the sharing of knowledge and resources. There should be more of that. Tell colleagues in your company how much money you make for your job and your position. Like all of that stuff, the democratization of that type of knowledge is beneficial and includes for game devs and publishers. 
Uh, one other tip that's not necessarily related to this, but for folks looking at contracts, especially for their art or entering into it, a business agreement, again, I'm not currently an attorney, blah, 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 blah. Moral turpitude clauses can really mess people up because the general definition of what moral turpitude is, is, is something like wicked, unethical, immoral, and, and everybody kind of has their own image of what that is. And you're like, I'm not that person, but courts have sometimes defined it much broader or sometimes within the contract, it's defined as something totally different, or it's been handled as, uh, you know, the Supreme court and pornography. They know it when they see it. So one case will be like, well, they did this thing that violated this moral turpitude clause. And then another case in another district didn't do that. Anyway, when you see contracts that get into that gray undefined area, if you are the, on their signing end of that, be wary and at least go in eyes wide open because m- nine times out of 10, it won't pop. But when it does, it's going to be a mess. For me, the biggest takeaway, if if anyone is listening and is is young and trying to get into this industry or any industry as as an artist, as somebody who got a fine arts degree in college, <laughs> I I think every artist should have to take some business classes. I think learning how to actually interpret or to run a business on the most basic level, because that is what you will be doing. If you're an artist is you have to understand how to sell something and, and what it takes to navigate the laws of the country in which you're trying to sell things. So, um, you know, I, hopefully this, this drives that point home. I think that's kind of what Jonathan Blow's qu- quote in this article is about is, uh, basically he says the reason these contracts is, exist is because so many indies are bad at business and sign them. Um, so, I mean, that's the problem is that artists in general tend to not think about that stuff. And uh, I think we should encourage artists to consider it because it's important. Right now, some indie dev is making a game about contract negotiations, you know, like <laughs> yeah, that's redline the contract the game. Next game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? There are certainly juicier, bigger stories that I know we're going to talk about. But the thing that struck me the most as we as this Activision thing continues, which this is not my story of the week, but part of that. uh, They're hiring for like a director on Diablo four right now, like Diablo four is not coming out (laughs) anytime. Well, yeah, they yes, unceremoniously dropped there. Oh, yes. So yeah. my story about all this Activision continuing coverage of of the Activision. Let's see if I can get this paused right for folks on the there it is. Uh Call of Duty Vanguard uh trailer came out. Uh and normally I'm not going to be talking much about Activision games as they're coming out here in the near future because I don't need to talk about them. But I found this interesting. For Call of Duty Vanguard, the, the world premiere, the big trailer came out. And as it's running up through the intro, it says, Call of Duty presents. There is no Activision anywhere on this trailer. On the end card, it's like Sledgehammer, Treyarch, all this stuff. No Activision. And like, I kind of get it, but Call of Duty presents Call of Duty? (laughs) (laughs) A Call of Duty production directed by Call of Duty. Produced by Call of Duty, starring Call of Duty. Presents Battlefield. Like, what are we doing? Like, what? It it just, to me, 
and and they put out a statement i should say they said it was a creative decision because call of duty is more than one thing now and it's you know the expanding on the brand of what call of duty is but to me um this stinks uh you know, <laughs> It, it, it kind of reeks of a desperation of like, we don't want to be attached to our parent company that has done these horrible things that we're so far still fundamentally failing to address, in my opinion, in so many ways. But also we have a release date and this thing is is the golden goose for us. So we need to put it out. How do we, uh, you know, have our cake and eat it too? And I, I, I think there's something insincere about presenting something this way. And I get... Business gonna business. But when I saw this, I thought it was worth bringing up again because um, it chapped my hide. It, it, it really it really chapped my hide. And maybe I, I don't get it and I'm letting my own anger blind the air quote actual creative decision before it. But I didn't want this week's episode to go by without at least pointing out that Call of Duty presents my anger on this week's DLC. <laughs> Well, uh, I think, you know, the, uh, it's clear that that seems to be the case, that they want to distance themselves from a... I mean, this if if we did pay for licensed music, this might be when I would drop the Britney Spears toxic clip. This is got you toxic! You know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Rebecca, what, what is your feeling on, on this? Do you think it's as, as offensive as Christian is making it out? Hmm. It, it is, it is very frustrating. My sort of tying all the strings on the board together theory on this is there was another headline that I saw just in passing this week. I I did not dig into it. I am going off memory, but I do, I do know this is true. Uh, The the headline that has gone around is that Activision, all of Activision studios, which has lots of studios under its umbrella. They're now all working on Call of Duty. No one's working on anything else. So uh, there's no, no one's working on Spyro. No one's working on Crash. No one's working on Sekiro Shadows Die Thrice or anything like that. Uh, (laughs) I I hope that's what it's called. I really want that to be the name. (laughs) uh, Everybody's working on Call of Duty now. And we've, we've slowly seen uh, in the last several years, we've seen Activision slowly start to just pair it all. Man, the, this is where I get into the investor call stuff. No, I love uh, it. That's why they, you're here. That's why, give, drop that knowledge on us. I love it. Yeah. The, the Activision side of Activision Blizzard has been paring all of its franchises down to the point where it basically Activision is Call of Duty. It is synonymous now. It has always been synonymous with Call of Duty for years, but it is completely now synonymous with Call of Duty. Uh, and, and then we've seen kind of their business strategy whenever the, the shareholders are like, hey, what's going on at Blizzard? It doesn't look great over there. Where are all the video games? Wow, numbers going down. What's happening? Uh, they they come back with something like our goal is to make a, a, a set of key Blizzard franchises into something more like Call of Duty. So and they usually name War, Warcraft, uh, Diablo is usually in there, and Overwatch are the three that they usually name. And then King, the mobile people are just off doing their own thing. Uh, but so, yeah, it, it is interesting. I, I think this is not... I wouldn't put anything past them at this point because the, the whole... Everything about the situation with Activision Blizzard right now is atrocious. Um, and I, I think this is a, a convenient thing for them to be able to do, to simply just just take the Activision name away and just focus on Call of Duty. Because why don't you all just think about the shitty game that you like and not any of the other horrible things you've done. Uh, but I, I do think that it is something that we might have seen anyway, perhaps, given given the direction that company is going. Activision 
is not Activision. It it is Call of Duty 100% completely and that that stinks. It's interesting that it might it's not that it's uh, potentially not that it's disingenuous but that it's more honest is your your perception is that it's actually a more yeah. honest reveal of how little Activision matters in comparison to Call of Duty. I mean, I guess as you were talking about it, I guess it it's more akin to I th- think it some of the marvel stuff never says disney on it right it just says marvel studios right oh, i don't know but it doesn't say avengers presents avengers like marvel <laughs> studios was a thing before disney bought it like it, marvel studios is a studio and mm. it existed before disney bought it it's like lucasfilm is still ahead of Lucasfilm stuff. They certainly did. I mean, we don't need to spend too much time on this, but Disney certainly does not distance themselves from that. Disney plus is the Marvel Lucas, you know, Disney Pixar. Like it is very clear what Disney owns and and what Disney does. Um, I, I can't help but laugh, but hearing some investor call where Bobby's like, you know, we've solved our problems. We are now a call of duty. And like, that's (laughs) the end of it. Like we've changed our name. (laughs) That blizzard Activision stuff. That was bad. Call of Duty, though, we did it. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of companies have done that, right? There's a whole bunch of companies that just change their name as the as the fix. Yeah, um, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's what's happening here, but I, I do think that's no, probably it's not. I'm joking. Revealing, uh, as Rebecca was saying, revealing as to how and, and and one wonders how wise it is to put all your chips on one bet. You know, it, it's it feels like moving all the studios onto Call of Duty, however safe a bit a bet it has been. It's over a the real course. safe bet. Yeah, but everything. It's literally been the best selling game per dollar sales in the United States. Like, I think every single year for the last, I don't know how many years, but sev- like a couple yeah, of like decades a decade. now, with yeah. the exception <laughs> of the one decade when Red Dead Redemption 2 was it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the sa- it's probably the safest bet in the entire games industry. I'd say plus Warzone sure. plus mobile plus. Yeah. I mean, no, I have no doubt. Da- you're you're clearly right, but at some point, yeah, no, right? Fair. At some point, every you know everybody's a buggy whip salesman. At some point, right? At some point, uh, you got to diversify or your business dies. I, I maybe I'm crazy, but. I guess that's why I'm not running Activision, but I feel like I mean, we're certainly going to find out, aren't we? I mean, we're yeah. going to find out what happens if they just become literally. I mean, and they they are technically diversified, right? Because they also have Blizzard. They're not going to get. They're never going to get rid of Warcraft or Diablo or any of that. And, right. I mean, they've got their own problems, but those franchises are still going to exist. King is King just keeps spitting money at them. They're they don't need to. T- they haven't really touched King because they they've got Candy Crush and all those mobile games over there. They're fine. So they are diversified in that regard. Right. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, we are absolutely going to find out in the next several years what happens when Activision only does Call of Duty and if if we're all okay with that. And I think uh, I, I think most people will be because the. The people that play Call of Duty, the vast majority of them are not perpetually online the way we are, right? Like they're right. They're, they're folks who who have have a console and they they buy a couple games a year, and one of them is Call of Duty, and then they buy like maybe a sports game, and then maybe like one other big AAA thing. Uh, but they they don't. And this this is not like trying to insult folks, but they just walk into the store and buy a game. Like they're not they're not super involved in what these companies are doing. They don't right. know about the scandal or if they do, it's only been very much in passing. It's traveled so much to the blizzard community because all the blizzard communities are guild based and perpetually online, but call right. of duty is not that way. Uh, so I, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't know that it's really going to hurt them that much, but it'll. Yeah. Fascinating to watch. They Indeed. buy Call of Duty presents Call of Duty, and they're also big fans of FIFA presents FIFA. Um, mm. And uh, Madden presents also FIFA, which is an interesting one. I don't know why they put Madden on that. I, I think to me, like the comic in me, it's just like again, it. Pro- you're probably right. More of this is probably about what Call of Duty represents to the bigger picture of that company than anything else. But there has to be, and maybe some poor copywriter, like they really tried, but there has to, Call of Duty presents Call of Duty. Just, it's just, it just feels weird. It's like the, you know, hello. Oh uh, yeah. Can I speak to Mr. Spicer? Oh, this is Mr. Spicer's assistant. Hold on one second. Stomp, stomp, stomp. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Speaking. Are you the same person? No, I'm clearly not. This is a new person. Mr. Spicer was very busy. Oh yeah, it's me. It's like, it just feels weird. I don't know. It feels weird. <laughs> very upset about weird. this one title card. Chris, the yeah, these are the people. These are the people who a couple of years ago did Call of Duty Black Ops. I I I I. I mean, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they couldn't even get the Roman numerals right. <laughs> Good point. Uh, we can move on. Yeah, it just I don't know. It, it <laughs> rubs me the wrong way. It's so many levels no, presents okay. by Call of Duty. Yeah. Well, as you noted, Christian, there are a lot of juicy stories left to talk about. I, I do think we should note, because we spent so much time last week uh, speculating on what this big new Quake game would be, that there was a QuakeCon this last week, uh, and Quake came out, a uh, updated version of Quake that has cross-play, four-player co-op, multiplayer with up to eight players, enhanced visuals... Uh, it's on PC, Xbox One, it's on uh, Xbox Game Pass, it's on PlayStation 4, it's on Nintendo Switch, with backwards compatibility on the Xbox Series game, and PlayStation 5 is everywhere. But it is certainly not any of the things that we speculated about. So uh, it is felt only our due diligence to mention to listeners that get their news from us. It's we Quake. That one. We riffed on that. It's, 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 a re, it's a re-release of Quake. And they did it. They dropped it during QuakeCon, which was cool. Uh, well, not a lot of other QuakeCon huge news. More info about Deathloop's PvP. And guess what? There's another way for you to buy Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. <gasps> we had you been unable to play it previously, <laughs> dear listener? Guess what? It's on. It's on everything. If you own a thing that plays games, Skyrim is on it. Uh, and there's a new version, in fact, for you to buy. Um, so not not a ton of QuakeCon news. So the, you're not going to have that be my story of the week. I, you know, I'm. I, I just can't help myself. I want to talk about Black Myth Wukong, which had a new trailer. This is this indie action game from China that. Uh, absolutely blew me away when it was first revealed very small developer here uh based on their first trailer which was i don't know several months ago uh, before the end of the year um they got a publishing deal themselves hopefully they signed a good one <laughs> uh but now this this game black myth wukong has been upgraded to unreal engine 5 and uh, basically i'm here to say i admit it I still like great graphics. I, I'm still that guy that is wowed by beautiful visuals. Uh, this game looks kind of like a mix between like a Souls game and maybe a, a, a Devil May Cry kind of action-y combo game. Uh, but the visuals are bonkers. It is utterly gorgeous. 
Uh, it's based on a uh, classic Chinese myth, Journey to the West. Uh, so you play sort of anthropomorphized animals. Uh, did you get a chance to look at this, Rebecca? Did you see the trailer? Yeah, looks nice. Yeah. That, get... That's the start and end of my commentary. I'm sorry. Fair enough. I mean, it, looks, th- it looks quite nice. I, 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 man, you know what? I miss, I miss shows. I want, I want to play this. I want to, I want to play a demo of this. Yeah. Because I, I don't know. There's a lot of games where you do souls like stuff with swords and stuff, and I don't know. I, I want to, I want to get get a better look at what. The, when is this coming out? This is ways away. Isn't ways it? away. I think it's uh, it's still uh, early in development. There's really no indication yeah. of when it will come out, but uh, I, it, it feels to me like an early indication of what this generation of games is going to look like when mm-hmm. we finally get games coming out on unreal engine 5 when we kind of get developers maximizing the use of of these whiz bang new gpus in all of the consoles and you know i i feel like every generation there's a group of people that says well games can't get any better looking than this and then you know there's something that comes out and i go oh man it it, it looks stunning and and again very shallow commentary for me because this is all about uh the the pretty pretty aesthetics but boy those aesthetics are pretty pretty no they are okay. very pretty what this gets me yeah i think the thing that get, this gets me excited about is the graphics of all the other games that i know about and hope look this pretty pretty cuz this game might be great i don't you know it, it's kind of hard to tell it looks like a third person action game in some way and I love those games. So there's a good chance that I will, <laughs> I will be into yeah. this game, but uh, the unreal engine five and what it can do in some of these tech demos. And now this seems like something much more substantial than a tech demo. It might not be, it might be, you know, all very linear and scripted. And if you go outside of the parameters of this demo, everything falls apart, but it looks, it looks really, 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 really nice. The only thing I'll add to Jeff and, and liking Pretty Pretty is I think that perhaps uh, 10 years after this game comes out, if you look back, uh, Death's Door will look better. You know, like, well, you haven't played this game. I mean, I that's see. kind of making as much of an mean, assumption about this game as anything no, else. No, no, no. I said how it looks. I'm just saying like oh, this oh, hyper realistic graphic dates, like art design. Breath of the Wild is still one of the best looking games around and it was made for the wii u you know like when you start getting into this territory you know uncharted blew me away when it first came out and then the last of us blew me away and now last of us 2 blew me away and it's like oh yeah uncharted 1 is dated it's still a very fun you know indiana jones romp but it's not jaw-dropping resident evil all those examples that's all i'm saying is that there will always be new pretty pretty and you have to be careful whenever whenever square enix I promise this is related. Whenever Square <laughs> Enix comes out with uh, another port of a Final Fantasy, an old Final Fantasy, one of the top-down sprite pixely guys, uh, a bunch of people get online and they get very upset because inevitably Square Enix has done something with the characters and they don't look right and they looked best in the old game. And the reason why that's true is because that specific style that not trying to go for realism style is something people still really love and enjoy and 
all kinds of developers still try to replicate that good old school pixel style because they love it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like Death Store is really pretty because it's it's in a style. It has it has embraced some kind of specific sort of art that it wants to do really, really well. And then it does it really well. Death Store rules, by the way. Uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I'm kind of with you. Well, I, certainly I'm on the same page as everybody else that art direction is very important. And I have mentioned many times on the show how much I appreciate the fact that we've gotten to this point technologically where art direction can come to the fore. You're no longer limited by the technology on an art direction side. If you want your game to look like Death Store, you can make your game look like Death Store. The the tools are there, uh, which hasn't always been the case with in, in video game history. You know, a lot of those pixel games, like they couldn't look like Death Store if they wanted to. It had to look like a pixel version. You know, there's they were technologically limited. Um, and I love the fact that you can choose art direction and choose to maxima- maximize your limitations with art direction. But guys, come on. I mean, I, it's, it's very pretty. pretty. It yes. is pretty. It's real not pretty. not saying it's not pretty. Uh, it's real yeah. pretty. And, and to say that Breath of the... I mean, yes, I love abstraction. I love art direction. I love beautifully animated things. But if you look at, you know, Toy Story 1 and Luna, Luca? there's a big difference. And they're both abstracted. And, you know, anyway, pretty stuff is pretty stuff. Okay. I'm pretty shallow. I'll take it. I get it. No, I mean, um, when ray tracing is my year after year game of the year, like I'm with you, Jeff. I, I again, yes, I, it's like, I love it. If there's ray tracing, I will spend half of my gameplay going ray tracing on, ray tracing off, ray tracing on, <laughs> ray tracing off. <laughs> uh, I hope the game is, is also plays great, obviously. I mean, if, if the prettiest thing in the world that plays like garbage, I'm not going to like, but. I'll probably still play it for a little while just to see the pretty pretty scenery. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have been outed as being very shallow. Let's talk about games we have been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Ooh, All right. It is time to talk about the games that we have been playing. Rebecca, what has been on your playlist this week? I have been dragging my butt out of bed <laughs> at six in the morning every day and getting in some time with Ring Fit Adventure again. I have yes. Amazing. I, I beat Ring Fit Adventure. Wow. The credits rolled. I did this earlier this year. So, um, you're, so you're fit. You're done. That's it. No, there's new game plus. You don't stop. Oh. You keep running. Um, it was really good for me. I, I hate, I hate exercise. I hate it. It's not fun. Uh, but ring fit is good. Uh, it is motivating. I, I fit, I played, I I did it kind of in fits and starts for a while, uh, especially when I was cooped up inside, couldn't really go anywhere. Uh, but I, I did play it, uh, quite a bit and I, I finished the game and you know what? I don't think I have ever felt so proud of myself for finishing a game like well, I mean, congratulations I that's I amazing spoil the ending for people but you know you 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 fight the boss and you win and then the credits roll and i i'm like crying i'm sitting on my couch covered in sweat that's looking awesome. disgusting bawling and then it, it says you did it thank you for playing and i'm like i did it <laughs> that's incredible you should be proud of that i, am. I, I would I, am. I would like though if in any fitness game that is built like this like, like an adventure game I would love for it to be like, congratulations, you have completed Ring Fit Adventure. You are now fit forever. 
Uh, That's, you you have completed great. exercise for the rest of your life. That'd be wonderful, but it turns out it doesn't work like that. So there's <laughs> New Game Plus, and you keep playing, which is what I've been doing for the last just over a week. I am trying to make it a habit again because ugh, I do feel better as a person, physically and mentally, and sleep better when I exercise daily. So, uh, but Ring Fit Adventure is great. I if you bought it during the pandemic, as so many people did, and then fell off of it or only played like the first couple days. Power through it. It's great. It is really Christian, good. Once she's you talking to you. Oh, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I, I fell it's off good. of it. I'm a big fan of, of fitness. My go-to has always been of everything you can do in terms of trying to maintain fitness and getting in shape. And I used to do a, a, a whole stand-up chunk bit about like the worst part about getting in shape is then you have to stay there. Like no one talks about that. It's like, I'm yeah. going to get in shape. And then you're like, I did it. I look like Kumail now in Eternals. And then it's like, well, tomorrow, now you don't anymore. It's like, oh. <laughs> I would, I just was. Uh-huh. What did you do today? Nothing. Right. Aw. And you got to keep at it. Yeah. And Ring guess fitted. what? Even if you do forever, Arnold Schwarzenegger still turns 70 and looks like a 70-year-old. You a know? very fit 70-year-old, though. <laughs> but it's like, you put a lot of time into that, and he still looks like that at 70. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I think okay. I mean, I mean, like in all seriousness, I think one of the things that that does appeal to me about it is it, it is very. It, it is not like the We Fits and the We Fit Us that were very body shaming and some super upsetting ways. Uh, it's really encouraging, and and the the writing is very good. It's very funny. It's got that good Nintendo funny all over it. Uh, a lot of very attractive characters as well. Uh, Twitter gets very excited about certain characters in this game, which I think. <laughs> But but the other thing is, it's all about it. It's very encouraging of building healthy habits, and not not just getting up and moving for a little bit every day, uh, but also mindfulness and and sort of more not meditation specifically, but you know more thoughtful uh, practices like you know thinking about okay the parts of your body as you're moving them and how that feels and how and being in touch with yourself and and eating well. Not again, not in a shamey way, but thinking, hey, have you considered? eating a vegetable. It's actually really nice. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's just nice. And it, it's, it's about building these habits. And that, that was kind of the thing that sustained me and, and got me to finish the game was that I, I turned it into a habit. And then I, I beat the game and I took a couple days off and ruined my habit. And so I, I am trying to rebuild it into one again with the idea that maybe I don't play Ring Fit Adventure every single day. Maybe I just have a lifestyle that incorporates a little bit of movement every day. And then I end up being happier and healthier. <laughs> I, I love <laughs> exercise. It's going great. <laughs> I, I love exercise. I, I truly, and Joe's side, consistency is king. It's like, should I go faster, harder, longer? No, you should do whatever you can do tomorrow. Like do today what you can also do tomorrow and start there and keep, keep going. What this, you know, you can read into this what you want. What I, why I eventually bounced off of Ring Fit Adventure is I need my coach to be a little meaner. And I don't know, mm. like my college coach was very nice. He was very encouraging and supportive, but I need a little more of mm. the like, do it, idiot. And like Ring Fit Adventure You're a cockroach. Was like, Get on your belly, part, cockroach. Jeff. That's why I do this show. So I, I like that, yeah. Jeff. That's why we get along so well. Is yeah. you yelling at me? But I, 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 I the ring telling you that your sweat is so shiny and beautiful doesn't encourage you enough. <laughs> it, it was not, not work. It was not the reinforcement that I was looking for, but it – man, it's a workout. Like if, if you are considering it and you're looking for an incentive, it's a full fledged game. Um, and it is a work 
out. Do it's we really know great. if these things are available again? I know there yeah. was like this crazy uh, shortage of them. They're they're we're back in yeah. stock. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. Oh, that's good. Again. They still sell really well though. Like they yeah. show up in the in the top ten sellers every so often, and yeah, they're they're doing great. People like it. It's a, it is. I think it's a really smart game. I think it is a. I think it is a damn shame. A darn shame. Sorry. Uh, that between supply shortages and people just not I, I think it is very difficult to get past the first week or so of playing it because you only have a couple exercises available once you unlock more it feels much better um but i i think with people not getting very far in it and then also the supply shortages this game really should have been talked about in game of the year discussions when it came wow. out what like 2019 yeah. it's such a smart just brilliant idea i I would never have thought it, it's a good RPG on top mm. of being a good exercise game. And I just, I never would have thought, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I want DLC. I want a sequel. I don't care. Wow. The, great game. Do you think I, that's really awesome? I haven't heard people talk that effusively about it. I think that's awesome. Mm. Um, but everybody I've talked to that's played it has liked it. So there, the, that's for sure. Uh, do you think, I mean, I love the idea of wanting DLC, wanting a sequel. Do you think, Nintendo should take that peripheral and like build on other genres and do other types of games with it. I don't want that. I think uh, I am generally against giving people a bunch of barriers to play. I think the Wii was it the Wii or the Wii the Wii U that had a bunch just a billion peripherals for no reason. Well, the we had the balance board oh. and the, you know, all kinds of Golf, crazy like stuff. Like so many companies made like paddles to put the thing yeah. in. Whatever, yeah. Whatever. I think like that's probably I no, I don't want a bunch of games that require the ring con. I think I think having a sequel that uses the same technology and then selling it either with it packed in or you can buy it standalone if you if you played the first game. I think that would be fine. Uh but yeah I don't. I think Nintendo's very well, Nintendo fails at accessibility in a lot of ways, but in the particular ways that we're talking about here, Nintendo cares a lot about accessibility, about making sure as many people can, from from various whatevers, can play their games as possible. And I, th- I think designing something specifically around that ring con, designing more things, many more things around it, uh, would just present an extra barrier because they'd have to pack it in with absolutely everything. Yeah. That's, just, that's just a lot. I, I don't think that they would do something like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else is on your playlist? Mm, let's see. I am currently playing a little game called Garden Story. Uh, it is a small indie game uh, made, I believe, by mostly, I mean, w- with support, of course, but made made mainly by one person, uh, Studio Picogram. Uh, it is a, a top-down Zelda-like adventure. You play as this little grape named Concord. Uh, in in this in the in this area called the Grove, and the Grove, uh, you're sort of playing after the heroes have lost the battle. It's it's a peaceful little nat- nature filled area, uh, but there's this e- evil creeping goo dark thing called the Rot that is slowly destroying the Grove. And there were a group of heroes once who tried to fight it and couldn't really, so they ended up just leaving. And now there's just these tiny little communities that, you know, they've got their little local guardians and they're just doing their best to sort of fight it off and make sure everybody can live their lives. And you're, you are the newest guardian of, of your little, I believe it's called Spring Hamlet, your little area. Uh, and you're, you're just kind of a little dude who doesn't, mostly lives by himself and isn't really sure what's going on. Uh, but your community says, no, 
you're grown up now. It's time for you to come and participate in the community and do what you were born to do. And it's great. It's the Zelda, it's the Zelda like adventure. So you're going around, you've got your little pick, well, swords, little pickaxe. You can slice at the little rots and uh, you do little quests and puzzles and things like that. There, there's dungeons, there's bosses, things like that. But it is, it is remarkable to me because instead of being about being a hero who saves the world, I haven't finished it yet. So you might, you might end up saving the world. I don't know. But instead of being very focused on that is instead focused on you as an individual doing your particular part for your community. So it, it has a day night cycle and every day you get requests from the villagers, of, you know, yeah, you might need to go fight off some rot, but you also might need to fix a fence or a dam that's clogged up or or something like that. And as you do that, you also see all the other villagers around you doing their part to support you. So they might help you build something that needs to be built. Or there's one early quest where there's a little cherry named Maraschino uh, who <laughs> he's very busy fighting or standing watch or doing whatever it is he's doing. And if you go help maraschino out then in turn maraschino will show up at night at your house and keep your entire square of the map free of monsters for you so it's very much the idea of being a single piece in the large puzzle of a community and working together as a group to better the space that you're in even you you don't necessarily have heroes who are magically going to make everything better for you so everybody has to chip in i think that's really cool and one of them just happens to be the cherry on top Oh, oh, like oh. You did. <laughs> good. Yeah, they're all little fruit guys. It's cute. <laughs> so you're you're digging this game? Yeah, I like it a lot. It's it's sweet. It's pleasant. It's not it's not hard. I don't. It doesn't need to be hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it has it has nice writing, a really sweet aesthetic, bright colors, uh, interesting feel, like up, upgrade progression system. There's a couple different weapons is sort of a weird word for them they're tools you get a hammer you get a you get a pickaxe you get an umbrella uh these things and i i'm in the second area now which is the they're, they're season thieves there's spring summer autumn i assume there's a winter as well um and meeting all the different characters and sort of meeting the different criteria and helping the village get to the point where it is self-sustaining enough that you can then move on to the next place that needs you uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm curious as to where it's going to go because it does have these themes of not necessarily individual heroism. And so I'm curious, okay, so how do we how do we finish the game then? Do we beat the rot? What do we do here? Mm. Uh, but yeah, I like it. It's, just, it's pleasant. It's That's pleasant. great. Are you, you're playing it on Switch? I'm, ta- I'm playing it on PC, on but PC. I believe it's also on Switch and a few other things. Cool. Again, that is Garden Story. And uh, yeah, available PC and Switch at least. Uh, very cool. Anything else? I, I know you you mentioned your uh, love of Death's Door. Uh, Christian yeah. and I both really love that game as well. That's yeah, quite good. I, I finished Death's Door actually uh, last week. Uh, that was definitely one of my favorite things I've played so far this year. I did I did the the true ending too, uh, which was great. I don't I don't know. Do we do we spoiler here? We probably don't. No, we, we, we try not to spoiler, but you can talk in vague terms. Christian, of course, refuses to get the true ending. That's what we oh, learned really? last week. No, so no, so no. first of all, we don't spoil because Jeff probably has only played two hours of the game. Don't put this on me, I Jeff. moved across the country Yeah, right uh-huh. after it came out. I'm it's still sitting in a room with I, – I, I have no table. I have no you're chair. On, you're on your PC. You can do it. <laughs> I started it via GeForce Now. Played great. I started it in Wyoming. He's bro. trying to he, – he's trying to uh, to defer – trying to, to – Change the subject because it's our guest, guest last Get week. Right. Our guest so I'm last week. I'm the only week. one here who has said who has seen the true, true ending. Then that's correct. Right. You are the only true gamer here. 
<laughs> yeah. That's a terrible thing to say. Uh, the, no, our guest last week begged Christian to see the true ending, and and he just straight up said, "No, I'm not going to do that." I, uh, I okay. might. It's a hard. So he's not to be would, fair. Tell him. Tell him why he should, Rebecca. Well, I was going to say, would you take a slightly different recommendation? Sure. Would you at Probably least consider, not. <laughs> if not actually getting the true ending, exploring the world of the post game for a little bit and just seeing how you feel about it? Yes, I have. I okay. have. It, um, for me, it's just there's so much else that it's. We have a, a running jingle on the show of too many games. Yes. And there are, are so many games. And this is not a nit that we need to pick, but like. There it is. Uh, um, timing is what I'm good at. I kind of think that when the credits roll, that's the, the true ending. I also, should I say, to our friend uh, Danish, who Danish's games, uh, I think when I put down a game, I've seen its true ending. Like that's the that's the end of it for me. That's really mentally healthy. That's really beautiful. I, I respect that a lot. But I love uh, Death's Door. I I have read about the true ending. I won't spoil it. Um, I I have this is uh, again what it says about me in a game that I am now playing in this week. I have a hard time, you know, clearing the map so to speak mm. after I finished a narrative. And even in Death's Door, again, I'll be vague. I know it is narrative it continues narrative but i have a really hard time with that of like well let me go do more i i really enjoy moving on from games i really enjoy like i did it now let's what's next no I, he doesn't I like super playing games he likes having played games dude yeah. <laughs> you know no, I think that, that's beautiful that's beautiful man jeff um, you might like having played games too if you actually played death's door <laughs> About the trending investor, I think the the, end, the trending itself, the actual thing that constitutes the ending, the cutscene, the thing that happens, um, I I didn't think it was, it was it was like fine, like I wasn't I wasn't super blown away by that. I I thought the journey to get there was fun. Uh, I I really liked uh, so not spoiling it. Uh, the true ending basically when you when you boot up the game after having beat it, there is a thing that you see immediately that is very obvious. You look at that and you go, I should go get that. And you go get it and you see it. And if you have done remotely any exploring at all, you get that thing and you go, I know what I need to do with this. And then you go do the thing with that. And that's then where it, I stopped. I stopped at, I should, I know what to do with this. And I was like, and pause and save and moving on. Oh, no. But see, <laughs> so you do that thing and it, it, it triggers a change in the world uh, that is immediately. And, and I, I like, I like the way they, they indicate to you that something that there's more to do because you do this and then you, you walk out of that area and you are immediately confronted with something that does not belong. And you look at that and you're like, wait, what, hold on. There's something else going on here. And you start following this thread and pulling these threads and then you find more things. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed pulling on all the loose threads of things that I remembered from having played, like seeing a certain symbol on the floor at one point and not knowing what the heck that was and then forgetting about it and then triggering this change and going, Oh, it was this. And then following those little threads. I thought, I thought they were almost all very well done. Uh, I I will say the thing that disappointed me was the pacing of it. There is, uh, this is kind of a spoiler. There's not, there's not an extra final, there is, there is an extra boss fight, but there is not a true ending final boss fight. And I felt like it was building up to one and then there wasn't one. And so I spent the last like, hour two hours of that section looking for owls 
Uh, <laughs> it was not, that part was not fun. The owls were not fun. That was the last thing that I did. And then I watched this cutscene, and that was it. And so the ending was very, uh, it felt very anticlimactic when I finally got it. But the rest of that journey I really enjoyed. And I thought, I thought it was very cool, smart design in the ways at which it, it drew you towards the things you needed to find in order to make that ending happen. I, I liked that a lot. It was well done. Really good. Gosh, that game is good. Very Music. good game. Mm. Music. Yeah. Great there's, art direction. Great. It's yeah. Go there's ahead. new remixes of some of that music. If you Ooh. do play. Okay. Do I might look new those remixes. up yeah. online. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, right. That game. is death's door. We're all fans. Uh, I clearly am the least worthy of talking about it. That's been established. Let's just, let's just say Jeff, that when you sit down on the knives out chair, those knives are coming out, but you didn't need to sit in that chair. You could have sat in your chair in your empty your empty house, but you you chose to sit in this conversation. You chose to sit in the knives out chair, my friend. That was a choice you made. All I have is boxes, <laughs> no chairs. Everything's uncomfortable. I'm I'm hunched over this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My comfort in means nothing to you, Christian. Down by the river. Yeah. What is on your playlist, sir? Dude, a lot. A whole lot. We have one game in common. Do we want to start there? I Why have not? A, sure. That's a great I have one to a start lot with. that I'm playing. All right. Let's start with that game. All right. So we'll, 12 we'll minutes. I don't know. 12 minutes on it. <laughs> <laughs> 12 minutes is out Ooh. now on Game Pass on PC, X console, and cloud. No touch controls if you play on device. It's not one of the touch things. And I say that um, to say... So 12 minutes, let me back up. I'll, I'll explain the game a little bit if you have, people haven't been following it. It is um, high talent, uh, Daisy Ridley, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, Willem Dafoe. And, and uh, the Professor other, X. Yeah, uh, young Professor X. What's his name? Yeah, golly. Uh, McAvoy. Uh, yes, yes. What's his first name? I don't know. All-star <laughs> cast. All-star Bob cast. McAvoy. No, what's no. his name? Uh, okay, uh, we're terrible. We're terrible. Also at this. in M Night's movies, very good actor, and also an Atomic Blonde. Didn't I know split. all the movies he's in. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, okay. go ahead, James. James, <laughs> James thank you, McAvoy. My goodness, thank you. Oof. Someone <laughs> almost got in a car accident. They were yelling at yeah. their stereo oh. for so long there. Yeah. Um. So, uh, twelve minutes, and it is a, a time loop based game and the, that's kind of what you saw from the previews and or the, the trailers is that it's this time loop it all takes place top uh, down yeah, perspective really really sort of dramatic top down perspective uh in this little apartment it's it starts on this little apartment uh yes and i will be vague to not reveal story spoilers so i'll say how it presented it all takes place there and it all takes place in 12 minutes and it's about relationships and examining what happens and going very small. So many games are big open world, you know, experiences. And this is 12 minutes. You're reliving it over and over and over again. Um, Things that maybe weren't as clear in those reveal trailers. It is a point and click adventure Um, for all intents and purposes. It is a point and click adventure. Almost like classical point and click adventure, like inventory. Yes. Try this with that. Yeah. Yes. Like King's Quest. Yes. And then on top of that, because not all point and click adventures are necessarily this, it is a puzzle game. It is a Rubik's Cube where every time you 
mess up the Rubik's cube. Not every time it progresses at some point, but oftentimes when you mess up the Rubik's cube, the Rubik's cube resets, you know, to that scrambled position and you got to go at it again. So you, you learn a piece of information. And as you're going through these dialogue trees, you're trying to figure out how to solve it. And there is a solve. There are a few possible branches toward the very end, but it is a, you, you need to do things the right way, much like King's To Quest, break the loop. Yeah. To, to break the loop. Um, yeah. Let me describe it this way. You know that scene in Groundhog Day where he's trying to uh, pick up Andy McDowell and he says, I-, I always like to do a little toast to world peace. And you see that moment where he's trying out all the different ways and he goes, ah, okay, world peace, world peace. Okay. And she's like, what? And he's like, forget it. But he's iterating. He's iterating on the, the thing and trying to solve for how to get Andy McDowell to go on a date with him. What you don't see because that's a montage is that he has to go through the whole day to get up to that one point to try something slightly different in that one moment. 12 minutes lets you play that. And I not don't mean the montage. You. Not I lets mean, you. Makes you. It may, it, makes so in you every point-and-click adventure game when you're, or, or any puzzle game where you're like, hey, I want to try something. Oh, I got an idea. You're playing Portal. For example, and you're like, you know what? I want to see if I'm putting a portal there and putting a portal there solves it. Nope, it didn't. Okay, well, let me try something up. Put a portal there and put a portal there. Oh, that also didn't work, but now I'm kind of figuring it out. But with tw- 12 minutes, because of the premise, you got to start over and do like, okay, so I'm going I'm to do A, B, C, D, L. No, that didn't work. Okay, A, B, C, D, Q? Nah, that didn't work. A, B, C, D, E. Ooh, ooh, that worked. Okay, now I can do A, B, C, D, E, L? <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, Q? So that's that turns into a rather, from my perspective, I don't know if you agree with this, Christian, but from my perspective, a bit frustrating because the game is is evocative and you go, ooh, 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 that didn't work. I want to try that again. I want to try something else in that moment but you have to rework up. You have to do all the steps that got you to that place in order to try just some slight tweak to what you did. And it becomes yeah. a little tedious. And it does, <clears throat> again, I'll be vague. It does correct that later, but depending <laughs> on how, how, yes, I know. Depending <laughs> on how long it takes you to solve the Rubik's cube, it could be much later. Um, and, and, and it's beautiful in terms of how the story unfolds, but I think frustrating in terms of a game and how it signposts the things necessarily, because yeah. there's only so much VO in this game. And I think the VO is done really well, but because there's so much of it and it can kind of interconnect, it's not a naughty dog or, um, an IDOS Montreal, voice acted game where they're in the same room you know performing these things so it's james whose name i knew off the top of my head yes uh interesting basis (laughs) for them and 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 daisy in the same room having this heated argument it's you know this line and again well performed but because they're kind of put together in different ways and you've heard them multiple times it can feel in my opinion flat and stale and you kind of just want to get past it 
And then the other part of it for me that that really grated on me over my time with the game, and it was only like five hours. I did not earn. There's so there's like a multiple endings. I yeah. did one of them. Um, is I, I I played it on console with a controller, and I found the act of playing it to be my least favorite part. Like the <laughs> movement, the character animation, the the clunkiness of playing a point and click in this small space with the controller. Yeah, you, you not, don't have direct control over the character at any point as far as like move a move a stick, the character model moves. You are it's always point and clean, click adapted to a controller in the sense that you are moving the stick and a cursor is moving and you place mm-hmm. that cursor on a point and then you click on that point and the character will walk to that point. So it, it it's really not built for consoles particularly even though it is playable on consoles uh, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, my big takeaway for 12 Minutes is, uh, I guess, one other thing that I don't think the trailer's made clear. It is, uh, in my opinion, far more violent and traumatic than the trailers let on. There were moments yeah. where I was like, I, what, I quickly shooed them out. But when I started, I was like, oh, my kids might like this game. Like, I knew it had a murder in it, but they're aware of that. They, you know. Disney movies have murder in it. They're not babies. And I was like, yeah, okay, we're good here. <laughs> you can step out. Like the yeah. game is brutal in my opinion. And dark uh, yeah. goes darker. Um, and I think what I texted you is I loved the story and I hated the game. I would love this as like a HBO max show or, you know, or like a, it, it a does Netflix feel, show. It, it, it does feel like a really cool idea that's sort of, I hate to say this, but it sort of ill matches its medium. You know, I, I like the idea of exploring time loops. We It's now become a full on subgenre in film and TV and it seems like you know, with Deathloop and this, and I think there's a couple of other games, um, Loop Hero even, uh, it feels like it's kind of permeating into interactive medium as well. But um, it was a little frustrating. And, and as a point-and-click adventure, just as a pure puzzle adventure game, the solutions to the puzzles often... I mean, I love an outside-of-the-box solution, but it often was outside-of-the-box when the obvious solution feels so obvious. And yet it, it, the game just is like, no, that's not how you do it. It's like, well, but if I was in that situation, I would try this. And then and it, the game just goes, yeah, but that doesn't work here. And you go, well, oh, okay, well, I have to come up with some weird Rube Goldberg version to get that done. <laughs> and the game's like, yeah, that's what we want from you. Um, and I so do think there little... are probably, yeah, sorry. I, I do think there are people who probably got through this their first time and love it like it could very well be i'm stupid like that could be a big part of it of like i clicked the wrong things and for other people it, it clicked in a different way in their brain and i do think as i said i'd love it as a netflix show or an hbo max show there is something cool and i talk about this a lot about the medium we, we love so much about the interactive nature of it like seeing those story beats unfold because of the thing you did and the reveal happening because you pieced these things together and you did it and not because some exquisite director you know she pulled back the curtain on these two characters and you see it from a new angle and that rocks your world it's like oh i did this thing and oh my god what did i do is very cool um but for me it um 
I wish I had those 12 minutes back. It's <laughs> <laughs> so a lot more than 12 minutes. I mean, I think it's like, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, Rebecca. I have found it fascinating. So I'm not going to play this game. Uh, I, I was very curious about it in the run up to release, but my, my partner played it uh, and has, has, spoiled it for me upon request uh, because, because I heard it was very upsetting as yeah. you said like far more far more violent and I I mean I play I play plenty of violent violent games but 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 violent in a way that was was just not it, it seemed to sort of clash with expectations and what it could have been and he told he told me what the twist was and I was like okay hmm all right uh it is so I'm not gonna play this but it has seemed it has been fascinating to watch how divisive this game has been for people, uh, for, for all, all of games, Twitter, mm. uh, it very much seems like it, it is so rare that we see a game that comes out and people very vehemently either love it or hate it. Like it, th- there are plenty of games that most people love, but some people have some issues with, or a lot of people are like, ah, this could have been better. But, but this, this wide divide between people who think this is just the coolest thing they have played in so long and people who are like, nah, this was messed up and difficult. Uh, it, yeah. it is so, so interesting. And it, it seems to sort of hinge on two things, right? Like it seems to hinge on how much trouble you actually had with the puzzles, because I have, I've seen people who said, no, the, the puzzles weren't that bad but then other people going no i was stuck for hours on this one thing and it was because as as you as you said uh jeff like a situation where they were just they they knew what to do they understood what the solution was but they didn't understand how to convey to the game that they knew what the solution was right uh so so lots of that but then also where people stood on the spectrum of it are the elements of this game upsetting or are they not and yeah, it's it, oh, it's been it's been very fascinating. This is this is the game that is going to come up during game of the year discussions, and it will not win any game of the years. Right? Yeah, I mean, and I love I, I just love Annapurna as a publisher. It feels like they put out the most interesting stuff, and I'm always going to pay attention when Annapurna publishes a game. It just consistently really really fascinating, uh, unusual projects, and so I, I mean, this was. Yeah. at the top of my most anticipated games of this year. And I, I was really excited to jump into it. So it, it is a little disappointing from my perspective. I'm I'm glad there are people that it completely clicked for them. Uh, for me, I, I just, I thought as, I think as interesting narratively as it is, or as bold narratively as it is, I guess, um, I wish the manner in which it was conveyed or the the gameplay experience the the pure mechanical side of it was a little more interesting and they had found a way to utilize that time loop in a way that that didn't ask so much of me as a player that that it it, because see in in movies and tv shows where you have this sort of groundhog day loop it feels like this superpower you got this this thing that you can't do all the time, you know, that, that you're able to manipulate the universe in some way, but we do that in video games already. You know, that's why something like, um, Oh, what's the Tom Cruise time, time loop movie, uh, the change titles, um, live, die, repeat, uh, that, that movie feels to me like a video game movie, even though it's not based on any video game, because it's kind of what you do in a video game. Like, he, he's this soldier, and he goes, and he dies, and he wakes up, and he can try it again. And that's what we do in video games all the time. So allowing me to replay a sequence to try to get it right isn't a benefit. It isn't a superpower. It's just how video games have always worked. So 
making me step through the process each time doesn't feel like this cool new thing I get to do. It just feels like tedium where it's like, no, in other games, I just save my game right before the decision point and I keep trying it if I want to. Um, so I think that's, that is something that I don't think that the developers reckoned with particularly or dealt with in a way that was, a, was satisfying to me. I, I like, if you're going to use this, this mechanic, and I, and I do think it's fascinating to uh, attempt to do time loops in video game narrative, I think there can be ways to handle it that feel more advantageous to the player rather than me feeling like put upon by having to just okay I'm it's gonna... a rogue type but the advantageous ways i think is a good rogue type game right you wake up you right die, you wake up and now you have an awesome new ability <laughs> right right <laughs> other yeah. than yes knowledge but also like oh i died hello fire whip right <laughs> you, well you and that's and... the thing it's like every game is a time loop game on a certain level you know because it's a video game and you can play it and try that thing again and try that thing again so i don't know a fascinating project, though, for sure. And I think you're totally right, Rebecca, that people are going to be talking about this one for the rest of the year in various, you know, positive and negative ways. <laughs> my, uh, what else is on your playlist, Christian? Yeah, my next two games I could classify as a tale of expansion passes. One, a large several-hour campaign full of juicy narrative bits with beloved characters that people have been dying to see have more screen time. The other, the same thing. One of them free. The other, like $30, depending on what you're playing it on. Uh, and so I put a lot of time into uh, Avengers, Black Panther, War of War for Wakanda, and Ghost of... T- Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut. Ooh, easy, easy title on that one. Um, and Although I, I highly think they, inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they work, I think, as a juxtaposition of, you know, what this content is. And I'll start with, uh, or what games are now, I should say, in additional content. I'll start with War for Wakanda. If people that have listened to this show before, um, Avengers is a game I was very excited about. Jeff, I remember texting with you about um, which console or you know what where you're going to play it so that we could squat up and maybe this would be our destiny finally you know whatever this would be the game that really clicks for both of us third person action action and this will be it we both got it on pc and we both were raving about uh kamala's story and then we were both like this game is just very mediocre and we kind of fell off off of it. it really fast yeah and then I jumped back in for Kate Bishop and I kind of felt the same way. And I was like, oh, I love Kate as a character. I'm so excited for her Disney Plus show. Uh, I don't like this core gameplay. And then War for Wakanda, they talked about a new enemy type, Black Panther and their take on Black Panther and their take on Wakanda. Um, the writing talent attached to it just seemed incredible. The voice acting we talked about uh, last week or two weeks ago, incredible. And I got hyped seven to eight hours and I was all in. I do not like the Avengers game. It's like, that's the full stop for me. Like this game, it is not going to be any DLC. That's going to fix that is what you're saying. Right. They have shown that there is nothing that will change what this core gameplay loop is like. I have not finished this story. What I've started, I think is very interesting and compelling. I want to read the comic book of it. 
Um, the, vo- the voice talent is incredible. I, I really like their take on Wakanda. It, I think they did a good job separating the characters from the budget MCU look, you know, the critique that the original cast of Avengers had um, in this game. And here it's very much Shuri and uh, T'Challa's relationship feels inspired by the MCU and also more recent comics than older Black Panther comics. It's playful um, and all of that is still here. And like the, the negging and ribbing and like that, you know, they clearly love each other and our family, but like, yeah, you know, really bust each other, uh, bust each other's chops a lot. Very well done. And then you just go into these combat arenas and it's just, you know, one of the opening missions, I think I killed, try not to exaggerate. I was sitting in a room waiting for, it's the destiny thing again, waiting for the shield to drain or whatever it is. And I think I killed 85 metal spiders that were all the same that just kept, I'm just killing them over and over. And uh, the shields are good. You can proceed. Woohoo. Then you proceed and it's like, oh, we got to power this one up too. Oh, come on. <laughs> and so new human enemies, but they still kind of do the thing that the aim enemies used to do that bugged me in this game. Where like, I guess there is a tell to it, but there's like this backdash that characters do that I find very grating in combat, especially for playing as Black Panther where he's a melee style character. They kind of do this back pull um away from you <sighs> yeah I, I don't really want to yuck anybody else's yum if they're loving it but it, it, it just it hurts because i i love the idea of an incredible avengers game i love black panther as a character uh it, but this is it's just more it's it's more of that and it has all the same problems the other game had the main game even if you're just playing as you know playing it for the story i think it's a slog unfortunately to get through yeah that said it is free and that's incredible like if you loved avengers or if you really it doesn't need to be your game of the year favorite game ever but if it is a game that you really like to have and they they talked about this initially but a kate uh hawkeye hawkeyes i think was like really bad but like to get kate bishop to get hawkeye now to get black panther and this huge big expansion for free, especially when the game pretty quickly went on sale for like 29 bucks or whatever it is, is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I think that should be applauded, like that type of commitment to a game. The other side of that pond is a game that, as I've established precedent for doing as much as Jeff hates it, could very easily be in my favorite game of the year discussion again this year, is the Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut. Because I loved that game and Iki Island is more of that game. I'm maybe like three hours in to this. I've heard it's like seven to eight hours of of story content. And I did go the PS5, you know, the more expensive $30 upgrade to have all the the tiny little bells and whistles that, that came with it. And it's incredible. I love this game yes I tr- as soon as i started the expansion i turned on kurosawa mode again because that's how i played the main like i'm in i'm only doing the main campaign that way uh i love it the narrative hook that brings you to Iki island is incredible the how it expands on Jin's story in a way that feels meaningful for me someone who's consumed the narrative of that game so deeply and completely 
it's it's adds to the character, but it also if if you you know hadn't played it, it's not like oh you're you haven't watched Empire Strikes Back, you need to see that before Jedi. Like it's not that, but it really adds to the character in a in a meaningful way. Um, the the new enemy type is interesting in how well there's a couple, but one I find interesting is now that there are enemies that much like you can change stances because a big part of the game's combat is you change from you know different stances to attack someone with two swords or someone with a pole or a brute or a shield. And now you have enemies that take the shield off their back and all of a sudden they're a shield enemy. So you need to adjust to that on the fly. And that's really cool. Um, and and Iki Island is beautiful, uh, but it's the same game, right? Again, like if ghost wasn't your favorite game before, I don't think this is going to win you over. And it was $30. Like, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money. Yes, they already gave you the $60, the $60 frame update on PS5 for the PS4 version. And they did Legends for free. Um, but what you get for $30 for the PS5 version of this director's cut, you know, how much was Death's Door? $25? 30 you know, it's... it's like yeah. 20 I, yeah, it was nineteen ninety nine or something. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't want to get into the whole argument of like, oh, well, my dollar is worth this many hours of playtime. Um, but it is interesting that this past week, these two big expansions came out, narrative expansions came out, and kind of how they were priced and how they were handled. Um, that said, if I'm talking to any of our listeners, and you have a PS4 or a PS5, and your tastes are like mine. Don't even bother updating Avengers. It's not worth the download time. And go buy, upgrade, you know, buy this DLC for Ghost of Tsushima, the director's cut, because it is phenomenal, Jeff. It's so, And I'm curious if the enemy lock, which I am not using, because uh, I like that, that free flow of the combat. It really clicked for me. But I wonder if now being able to lock on enemies will, you'll like this more or not. But man, I love this. I, I love this expansion. I love this game. And I love the character of Jin more now, you know, than I did before. It's just really wrestling with his demons, mm. which is awesome. Cool. It's real good. Awesome. So that is uh, ghost of Tsushima director's cut and Avengers war for Wakanda. And uh, then one else? last thing I know yeah. I've been talking a lot and this will be brief. Cause I'll revisit it again. Uh, I am replaying through Metroid zero mission um on my game boy advance sp as i'm getting very anxious for october (laughs) and metroid dread Mm. metroid zero mission is a four to five hour game it's a retelling of the first metroid super metroid i think is maybe eight to ten hours metroid fusion i think is also five hours i'm not trying to anger the hollow knight stands out there but i i miss the purity of a metroidvania that could be beat in a weekend I love Metroid Zero Mission. I, lo- I it's it's beautiful yeah. to me. It's like, and I, I, truth be told, I never finished Hollow Knight. But uh, Guac, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I try not to. No, it. no. I said I'm not going to shame. We already had this conversation. I'm not going to shame you for this. <laughs> Hollow Knight is good. I, it's incredible. I know, and I, I think I talked about it on the show. I bounced off, and then I got back, and I was so lost that I knew it'd be two hours to get back to you know where I was. But I, I do, you know, Ori, Guacamele 1 and 2. I put time in these newer Metroidvanias. But going back and revisiting Zero Mission ahead of Dread, it feels 
it, it feels like putting on that leather jacket or whatever you have. It's like this fits everything. You do the thing, then you see the thing, then you do the next thing, then it unlocks and the thing. There's a purity to it. And I'm curious where the reason I bring it up, I'm curious where dread lands on that. Like mm. how big does Nintendo think dread needs to be in uh, 2021? It will be interesting to see that. Um, all right. Well, we're already uh, kind of going long, so I'll just do one thing from Sorry. my list. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Um, and I, I want to talk about humankind because I am a huge civilization fan and have been for my entire video gaming life. I mean, it's like the game's been it's like 30 years. The civilization's been going and something like that. Um, and it's crazy to me that over what six iterations, there's never been a, a, a civilization like nobody's tried to dethrone Civ on a, at least on the scale. There's certainly plenty of games that are inspired by Civ in, in certain ways or that do versions of the God game. Certainly the God game is a genre, but civilization as a, as an idea, as a, you know, this historical build the, from the earliest version of man all the way to space, you know, heading off into space and with all the 4X-ness of it, nobody's really attempted to dethrone Civ. Funny because I feel instinctively that you must be wrong, but I don't, I have no counterpoint. I can't, <laughs> right? I don't play, I don't play the play. genre. I don't play the genre, so I, I pro- that's probably the main problem. But surely, surely that's not right, right? Like, Well, don't really? call me Shirley. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the, 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 um, the, there is, I am fully, fully, open to the idea that I'm forgetting something and, and maybe even forgetting something obvious, but I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, like I said, God games, there's plenty of God games. There's plenty of games that do kind of, but not really. Maybe the better way to put this is humankind is civ. Like it yeah, is okay. straight up doing civilization. Um, and I'm almost shocked at how much so, right? It is basically, doing civilization and and it has some really interesting um ideas this has some new has some new features that civilization does not i think the biggest of them at least the biggest for me so far and again these are games that you can spend hundreds and hundreds of hours on and i have just barely begun playing uh, hum- uh, humankind but the biggest of them is that in civilization you start by picking a a historic civilization, uh, you know, and, and you get your, you know, you pick India and you get um, Gandhi as your, you know, avatar, basically the leader of you. They have all these famous people from history and you pick a, a culture and those cultures have various bonuses and uh, stat increases that will sort of guide your gameplay. So you go, well, I'm going to do this kind of thing. I'm going to pick this kind of culture because of these bonuses will help shape my, my evolution through time. And humankind does a version of that, that I find to be really interesting. You do not pick a, you pick a specific culture to start, but you're able to change cultures over the course of, of a playthrough and sort of morph them on. And the idea is that culture isn't stagnant, that if it has other outside influences, it can be, uh, it can evolve and change and have, you know, show the influence of, of another thing. So 
partway through your progression in in the game, you can switch to a completely different culture. You don't even have to stay on the same continent of, you know, of historical, you know, earth. You can morph into a completely different continent. And a result of that is you don't have a specific leader that is your avatar. You have this character creation avatar. And that avatar will change outfits to sort of show new cultural influences. Your buildings will morph to show new cultural influences. But you have this sort of mishmash of different benefits, different gameplay benefits and boons and stat bonuses and stuff. And it's really cool because it allows you to not have to just stick with one preordained strategy when you start. So you go, in Civ, you know, basically you go, well, I'm going to try to do this kind of victory, so I'm going to pick this kind of civilization from the start because it makes most sense. These, These stat bonuses help me along the way. So you're sort of right at the beginning in the same way when you start a role-playing game and you go, well, I'm going to be a healer, so I better pick all the healing stats, you know? You're sort of like putting yourself on these rails to a certain extent. And humankind removes those rails. It says you can, on the fly, based on how the game is going and what the other cultures are doing and how you want to interact with them, you can sort of adapt. And I think that's a really clever addition to the formula. The downside... Does that make it... Oh, maybe sorry, maybe you're gonna get there. I was curious. If that makes it harder or easier. Sometimes I feel like taking the rails off is like, oh no. Well, <laughs> like I off the if, rails. <laughs> I don't even know if I would frame it as harder or easier. I mean, in a certain way, it's it's more facile, so that's sort of easier because you're able to just adapt better, which is kind of cool. But I think for me, the downside is that it kind of you kind of lose the the identity of your culture and, and even worse, the identity of the opponents that you're playing against. So instead of, you know, interacting with famous uh, historical figures and going, Oh my God, that's Genghis Khan. Oh wow. Okay. I know. Okay. I know what, where the Mongolians are uh, on the map or uh, you know, that's Peter the great or whatever. I know where the Russians are. So you, you have these like, vivid characterizations of when I ha- I have a specific relationship with them and I've, I've tried to diplomacy with those guys and they're, you know, that's working out or, Ooh, I gotta get my, they're, they're going to invade me over here from these. All, all of a sudden now when you're dealing, I've only played against AI, but when you're playing against AI, it's just this sort of like person in red, <laughs> you know, or person wearing yellow and you go, okay, well now I got to, Okay, right, the yellow people are, oh, wait, but they just adapted cultures, so now they don't look, they also, you know, change cultures just like you do, so they don't look exactly the same as the first time I interacted with them, but I remember that we had a bad experience. So maybe it's a nitpick, but it just feels like you don't, I don't have something to grasp onto to, as a lens through which to interpret the geopolitical machinations of the game. And it's just, kill it's them more, all. Kill them <laughs> you're in the all. Exterminate of the four X's <laughs> is the Spicer way. Oh my goodness. But I will say, I think a uh, humankind is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it is I thought the last civilization was six, I guess it's the last one. I thought it was beautiful, but uh, humankind from a just pure I mean, part of the thing I love about games like this 
I've said it many, many times on the show. I love little diorama worlds. I love being able to like be in my godlike perch and look down at the little world that I've created and see stuff happening. And boy, humankind delivers on that big time. It has all kinds of wonderful little animations and how your city is laid out is very satisfying. And the, the topography of the map is gorgeous and how things like as you explore in the early game, things don't just appear like the fog of war doesn't just reveal um, the map. It sort of grows into place and pops up in this wonderful, almost uh, pop-up book way. It's stunning, stunningly beautiful. And it does, it does the Civ thing real well, as far as I can tell. I mean, I, like I said, I w- you could play hundreds of hours of this, so more stuff may come up as I play more of it, but uh, I like it a lot. It's just, I'm shocked at how not unlike Civ it is. I mean, it really is just doing Civ slightly different. And that's good, because Civ is a great game. And I'm kind of surprised nobody has done this before, if, if I'm not wrong about that. But it also feels like, wow, they really are just making that game. Uh, and I don't know. That's kind of surprising to me. So that's Humankind. I love the is, logo. It's brilliant. It's, it's the good. game's beautiful. All, all of it is beautiful. It's uh, it, it, the way, it, like in, in Civ, when you have to make um, decisions for your culture, uh, it's very like, very mechanical, very, um, you know, it's menus, right? It's like this stat and that stat. And in, in humankind, it's really trying to go for something a little different where it's asking you questions. It'll be like, hey, how do you feel about this? And your answer effectively does the same thing as looking at the two stats and clicking on one or the other, but it's presented in a m- much more dramatic story way, a narrative way. And I really, uh, I really like that. I respond well to that. I think that's it. It makes it makes the story of my civilization feel more interesting and personal. Um, so it, it's doing a lot of really subtle things that I think are cool. But I mean, if you like civilization, I think you'll like the, you'll like humankind. It's a it's very very similar, very similar. So that's what I've been playing. All right, and that's actually going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, you know that we have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Rebecca Valentine, thank you so much for being here. It has been such a delight talking to you. Aw, thank you for having me. This is really good. Awesome. Tell folks where they can keep up with you and the things that you make online. Uh, you can find the things that I write at IGN.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Duck Valentine. Duck Valentine. Very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, I will reiterate where we started this episode. Go read the, um, that article. It's real good, among other things that you have going out. It, it's it's good, and it uh, I've seen it getting love online, and it deserves it. It's fascinating, and I think people that listen to this show especially will really, really appreciate it. And and also the devs that took time to respond. That's gr- It's, you know, what a wonderful community um, of folks, and so that's really Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Uh, this week for me, you can't see it, but I can show. I talked about it as I roll away. Uh these guys showed up. Whoa, They're here. Somebody made a comic book. Ooh. They're here. And it's got beautiful uh, notes. Let's see. How can I open this on scripts and notes and all sorts of stuff. And this physical Pretty. edition came out so dang nice. So 
just off camera here, I am mailing and packing and shipping. So thank you to everybody. And I appreciate your patience. It's happening. They're going out. I am but a simple man. It takes time to fold and pack and ship. But they're really nice. I can show. Let me see. Maybe one of these out. They pack up real nice, and I bought you know nice quality mailers for them, and uh, they'll be going out uh, now and continuing until I get I have a lot <laughs> to send. So that's going to be my week. And then on Twitter, I am at Spicer S P I C E R, and I typically stream this show live Sunday nights at eight fifteen p.m. Mountain over at Twitch.tv. <laughs> Look at you! Oh, I'm in a new time zone. Spicer. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also have several other shows for you to check out, including the film cast, which is our movie and TV show review podcast. Uh, we are, uh, we, we got lots of really cool stuff coming up there. Check that out. It's too much to get into, but I also have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that I do with Anthony Carboni. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com and uh, the live play Dungeons and Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. We had one of our most uh, incredible episodes ever last week. Uh, Something really impactful. As as it was happening, we were all saying, I don't think there's ever been a live play D&D show that has done this. Uh, and I think we're, tr- I think we're right about that. It, it was a crazy moment. It has gotten a lot of response online from folks. And I think, uh, I think if you're into cool stories, fantasy storytelling, you should check it out. You can find uh, it at twitch.tv slash the dungeon run. We, um, stream on Wednesdays at 6 PM Pacific time. Um, you can also find it on YouTube or as an audio podcast it works great as an audio podcast as well. And uh, the fan-controlled show that I do on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific is at twitch.tv slash FCF. That's sports, y'all. All All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Rebecca, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? So I, uh, I I recently went through this book called uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which is a Netflix show. Yeah, you may have heard. Um, I, I've seen a, a couple episodes of that, but but the book it's it's a cookbook, but it's also a sort of manual on how to cook better uh, <laughs> using these four basics: salt, fat, acid, and heat. And I. I love cooking. I could I could talk a whole other podcast about about enjoying cooking, but I, I have no background in it, no training. I don't, I don't. I just follow recipes. I don't really know anything about it. And it was breaking down for me these four principles in this very smart way, while also teaching me all these things I didn't know, like uh, not just obviously salt your meat when you're cooking <laughs> meat, but but specifically salting it depending on what kind of meat it is a certain amount of hours before you cook it because the salt will sit on the meat and then it will dissolve and then it will soak into the meat all the way through. Mm. So you want to salt it. Like if you're doing like a steak or beef or something, you want to salt it. So I I had no idea or excessively salting your pasta water, like to the point that you think it's too much because realistically you will just drain all that water out and all the salt will go with it. But if you put extra salt in it, then your pasta will actually take that flavor or uh, Mm. why cranberry sauce is 
so good at Thanksgiving dinner is because all of the other traditional Thanksgiving foods are very bland, but cranberry is acidic and you want to have acid with every meal because it brings up all the other flavors and just, just all these things I had never thought of and learned about how I was cooking wrong, but very smart and cool and doable <laughs> for normal people who are not fancy chefs. So yeah, Salt Love and that. Fat, Acid, Heat, Netflix series and book. Really cool if you like cooking and knowing about what you're doing. I love that. That's awesome. Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Very cool suggestion. Christian Spicer, how about you? What's your parting gift? Yeah, I'm going to keep it on comic books. Um, oh, I, I'll, I'll do two because something else just came up. Um, I think I've talked about um, Meet Me at the Altar before. They're a great pop punk band uh, now out of Florida. Um, but they were just profiled. Um, they're on. They signed with Fueled by Ramen two years ago. But they were just profiled in the New York Times. I think today, Sunday, as we're recording it, they're great. They have a new EP out. They're great. Um, listen to them. They're incredible. My one I was going to do is uh, Batman eighty nine. It mm. has started. I believe it's six issues. The first issue. I think just the first issue is out, and it is continuing Tim Burton's Batman, Michael Keaton, Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny DeVito, like that. Batman and the comic. Oh gosh, I should have. If you look at our show doc, I didn't have this typed in because I wasn't. I was like, "What am I going to do?" I'm like, "Batman '89." It's written by the person who wrote the screenplay for Batman '89, and then also wrote a first draft, I believe, on Batman Returns as well. But it's awesome. I'm an old. I love revisiting that era. I love seeing comic book Michael Keaton um, and that Tim Burton stuff. So Batman '89. DC's also done, I think they're doing a Superman 77. They did a Batman 66 already, kind of embracing these past versions and continuing them, um, you know, in canon or whatever of these stories. It's fun. Check it out. Someday they'll do the Harley Quinn 2021. And finally, Batman will be allowed to do that thing. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, My parting gift is a show that I'm a little late to. It's already finished its run on HBO Max or H. I think it was H HBO. I'm watching it on HBO Max. Uh, but uh, boy, I, I uh, marathoned several episodes last night. It is called The White Lotus, and the first episode, I was like, I'm not into this show. Uh, but I had heard folks talk very positively about it, and so I kept watching. And by episode three, I was like, this show is brilliant. Uh, Highly recommend getting over the hump of the first episode, which I don't think is that great. I don't think the first episode is that great. Anyway, this is uh, a show with a really stellar cast. And uh, a lot of people were deriding it as just being rich white people problems. Uh, But man, I think it's more than that. It's about a, uh, a resort in in Hawaii and a bunch of rich white people are there, but it's also going into their, uh, the, the staff that works there. And so it's like this juxtaposition of all of these really wild characters with, uh, the, the people that are having to deal with them. And it gets so, I mean, every single character is despicable and relatable at the same time. The, I mean, even the staff, like all of them have weird problems and it's, it's something else. Uh, I, I'm really digging the white Lotus uh, and it's already finished up its run. So I get to, you know, watch to the end, I think. And I think it's been uh, renewed for season two, but as an anthology, it'll be a new place, new cast. So cool. Um, did you watch that Christian at all? Mm-hmm. 
You didn't like it. I'm just mad that that uh, Tammy Taylor remarried. I can't accept that. I she, know. You know. Coach Coach was a good man. I, I don't think know. she had several shows between those two. No, Coach went off and stopped Godzilla, <laughs> yeah. and she went on a vacation. Yeah, uh, and also like founded a tech company. Um, but all star, all star, all star cast for sure. I, I I think the show is very well made. Uh, I think it's problematic in some areas, but uh, so much of great media often is. Um, but it's very entertaining watch. That's the White Lotus on HBO. We also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This comes to us from Andre, who says, Hello, Jeff Christian, an honored guest. Thanks for the many years of this wonderful show. I look forward to listening to many more years. Uh, I wanted to share a scripted, dramatic podcast called Control-Alt-Destroy. It's based on the idea that International conflict can be resolved through national teams competing in a fully virtual MMO. It's entertaining, exciting, and definitely hit my emotions. Summer Glau of Firefly fame. It's not easy to say Firefly fame. uh, Does a great job narrating and fooling my ears that the voices of the different characters are different people. Uh, all the best. This is, uh, a really interesting idea that I need to check out. Again, that is called a uh, control alt destroy. I hadn't heard of it before, but I remember when I was a kid thinking, wouldn't it be great if we, if, if all of the world's problems were just international problems were just solved. If people played street fighter against each other, like they have different nationalities, right? In street fighter. I thought uh, as a young kid, there's na- the nationalities right there. They just have to pick their, like America has to pick guile. And, uh, you know, every country just picks their national representative. We don't have to fight wars anymore. We just have to play street fire against each other. It would be perfect, I thought. A naive young man. Figures that the best character happened to be made by the same dev- country that developers were in. What? <laughs> we have to play as Guile? Come on, get out of here. No <laughs> I mean, I guess play. we could play Ken. Anyway. Uh, that's no one wants to play destroy. as Ken either. No one if wants to play you would like to have your parting <laughs> gift right on the show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send it. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Rebecca Valentine and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those fun bumpers. Thanks to all the folks hanging out with us live in chat, making the show better in real time. We appreciate you. And thank you to each and every one of you who download the show. We are grateful. And we'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.